It's by His work that we can be here gathered. It's by His work that we can know this truth. It's by this work. And, and, and really, it's, it's amazing. I love the way that He phrases it because He says, as they wrote that out, they didn't say, they didn't say just mine. It's ours. It's for us. It's, it's a people. And, and so just, I just want to stop and just thank Him again for that. Jesus, <laughs> we uh, truly don't deserve what You've done. We truly don't deserve the price that you paid and, and what you offered for us. Oh, but we are grateful. We are so thankful as we sit here and recognize what you saved us from. That we were truly falling apart. That we were truly broken. And you, you put us back together. That we were dirty. You cleaned us. Oh, thank you. I pray. I pray as we seek you and chase after you and, and respond to what you've done. That that gratitude that, that, that you would work in us. A, a gratitude that doesn't just stop in, in our minds with those words but that's, that's strong and valuable because it, it moves from our mouths to our feet in our hands. I pray that as, as we study Your Word today that we will be challenged. That, that, that we will see that, that You didn't just call us to sit here like bumps on a log in a building staring at one another. Sitting in this this idea of salvation. You called us to love as You've loved. Help us to see it. Help us to understand it. Help us to live it. Not just so that we feel better, Lord, even though we, we want to feel better, but that people would look at us and see You in us, active and living, changing us, making us new. If there's any resistance, Jesus, I pray that through the, through, through the work of Your Spirit, that You'd move that out of the way. That You'd enable us, empower us to, to be submissive and, and to live in this will, in Your command. Thank you. Thank you for paying this price that we might live this life. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Kids, third grade and below, you guys are welcome to go with your teachers. Are they already gone? Hey, you guys are good. Melissa, boy, she is she's on it. All right. Well, John chapter 13, we've got to build off of our lesson last week. Our lesson last week, you may not have gotten anything out of it last week, but it is extremely important to us. It is foundational. It is a fundamental lesson. And, and, and I don't know if it will 
come up every time we study in John from here on out. But, well, it should. Because as Jesus now deals with his disciples specifically and, and speaks to them and teaches them, I mean, think about this with me for just a second. This is something that's, that's just dawned on me today. As we've studied John, we've, we've recognized Jesus' work in the gospel. We've seen him, him doing things and working in power and, and teaching with authority and, and loving people and, and demonstrating this work. As he's pulled back out of public ministry, as he comes back and he begins to focus strictly on his disciples and begins to teach them, what we're beginning to see him do is bring very practical, very rubber-meets-the-road kind of teaching that, 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 that gives them an idea of how to continue. It makes them able to live on. And as he gives them commands and teachings, it's, it's this fundamental truth that we dealt with last week that makes the difference. And I say that because, because if you don't have this fundamental teaching and this fundamental understanding, the rest of it's really for nothing. You remember what that teaching was? How, how we went through all these different things and at the very end of it, what was it? Nobody remembers. Trust Jesus. Remember what we talked about last week. Remember what we looked at. Jesus has, has, is sitting and teaching His disciples. He's serving them in an amazing way. And as He's sitting there, He tells them that you're going you're gonna to see one of our own betray Me. He has deceived you all along and He's going to betray Me. Everything that He appeared to be is false. But I'm telling you this now. So that when it happens, you won't question who I am. See, he says, you can trust me. You can, you can follow me. You know, as, as, he, as he tells them that and then begins to show them uh, and, and, and begins to actually send Judas out, he says, okay, Judas, go and do what you've got to do. It would be great if that was the end of it. But see, then he didn't stop. He continues to teach and Peter's challenged and Peter says, Peter says, well, well, Lord, I would follow you anywhere. You can't go anywhere I'm not willing to go. He challenges him and he says, Peter, in the morning, before the morning, before the sun rises, before the, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. This guy that Jesus named Peter, which means rock, this guy who, who was a rock, according to, according to what Jesus said, or was going to become a rock at least, but, this guy who was always willing to be out there and just he was fired up and ready to go when challenged was going to fail. Jesus, even when we're faithless, is always faithful. When we're not all we appear to be, Jesus, is all that He's shown us to be and more. You see, the thing is, is that, that in, in every place, in every time, in every circumstance, in every situation, we can trust Jesus. We can trust Him. No matter what the cost, no matter what the, the appearance of the circumstance, or no, matter, or no matter how hard it appears to be, we can trust Him. And that's fundamental because He's about to challenge us with a command. He's about, to, he's about to call us to do something that is so far from who we are, that's so different than anything we would do on our own, that we're going to have to trust Him. 
We're going to have to see Him working in us and knowing that we're just going to have to follow sometimes, not, not knowing that we can really perform, not knowing that we can really do it, but that He can do it in us. You see, He's got to call us to do something that's not in us. He's doing that all the way through as He teaches His disciples, as He approaches the cross. Remember, He's just hours from it. It's not like it's days and weeks and, and, and the cross is some distant way out. It's hours in our text. He is about to be arrested. He is about to be judged and condemned and hung on that cross, and He knows it. And He tells them, he tells them this. And it's in this teaching, it's in this idea, you know what, I'm about to be gone. I'm about to be going somewhere. I'm about to be pulling back out of this place. And where I'm going, you can't go. But this is something you need to do. See, because he recognized that as he pulls back out of the world, as he, as he, goes, to, as he goes to this place where they can't go, as he, as he leaves the world and ascends back into heaven, he knows that this command, that this thing that He's going to do is going to be the presence, His presence, in the world today. And for the disciples then, it was extremely practical, extremely relevant, and nothing's different today. As, as, as practical and relevant and applicable as it was to them, it is to us today. John chapter 13, verse 34. That's where we'll pick up. It's very simple. We'll be, on a, we'll be in this passage. We'll have two verses to deal with today. I'm just going to ask you to hang with me. We're going to look at them close. And I think we're going to find some challenging application in them. But remember, as we are called to do this, as we, as, we, as we see this command and as we try to live in it, we can trust Jesus. He didn't call us to do something or go somewhere or be someone He's not already working in us to be. This is what He says, John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also have to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. As he comes to that commandment, he introduces it as something new, a new commandment I give to you, he says. And, and it's interesting because as I read about that and, and, and dealt with that, and thought about it, it's not the idea that, that this, this command to love people is new. It's not that the Jewish people were living a life of hatred and just lack of concern for their fellow man. You see, they had always been commanded to love others. The idea here, and we don't catch it completely in the Greek because of the, because of the, the uh, translation, because our word new doesn't really... It doesn't really evoke the idea that the Greek translation would have or the Greek uh, writing would have. The idea here is that it's not brand new as if it never existed before, but it's newly revised or it's a, it's a change in what used to be has become new. It's been made different. And as he does that, you see, you see he recognizes, he knows. In fact, he's taught that they're to love others. 
when challenged by, by, the, by the Pharisees and the, and the um, scribes, he, he was asked, well, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. I don't think he even flinched. I don't think he blinked an eye. I don't think he had to stop and think about it. He knew it. And then he offered something for free. You see, he didn't stop there. He said, let me just give you this to you. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then when they challenged and said, well, who's your neighbor? He tells the story of a good Samaritan. The Samaritan would, would, have, would have hated Jews, would have, would have turned their back on them, and the Jews absolutely hated the Samaritans. It, it, it makes our race conflicts in our country look, look like, look like a, a day at the daycare. I mean, it looks like nothing compared to how they hated one another. They would travel way out, out of their way to ensure that they didn't have to go into a land that, wasn't, that, that was belonged to the Samaritans. And the Samaritans wouldn't have anything to do with the Jews. And he tells this story of this man who, who is robbed, he's, he's beaten, he's left for dead, he's naked in a ditch, and the Jewish people who cross his path or who come upon him look at him and ignore him, and they stay as far away as they can. And this Jewish man is left there bleeding and dying. And along comes a Samaritan who should have looked at that guy in the ditch and thought, only good Jews are dead Jew. That's not what he did, though. You see, he took that guy, put him on his mule, carried him to a hotel, paid so that the guy could stay as long as necessary, and then promised, when I come back through, I'll pay you what I owe you if there's more debt. And in teaching that, Jesus says, you know what, the people who are your neighbors is everyone you come in contact with. It's not the guy that lives next door or the couple down the street. It's the people we encounter in life. See, there's a very high standard already for love. There's this huge standard. We are to love everyone we come in contact with as ourselves. That law has been in, in, in place. That law was, was written in the book of Leviticus thousands of years before. And if you go to the book of Leviticus and read the things that are before it, it's all about how you're going to leave things in your field and you're not going to pick up every last piece of grain and every last piece of fruit in your field so that, that your neighbors who don't have as much can come along behind you and pick up what's left over. And then he says, you're going to love everyone, your neighbor, as yourself. You see, Jesus knew there was already a high standard. But He's changing it. This new command, this revised command, has a new object of its love. And it has a new example of its love. You see, before, the object of love was to be everyone, our neighbor. Who's your neighbor? The people you encounter. The example of the love is you love yourselves. Jesus says, I've got a new one for you. I've got a revised commandment for you. Love one another. Very specific. Very specific. A very specific group of people. Who do you think the one another is? 
you think it was just those 11 guys sitting in the room with him? Well, he's just talking to them, so it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter. I don't need to know this. Are they the only 11 followers of Jesus at this time? Now, you see, the, the, the 11 disciples that were sitting in that room only represented a few of the people that Jesus had come in contact with and who had come to believe. You know, there were women that oftentimes aren't mentioned, that, that, that were serving right alongside, that were doing things, that were supporting the ministry in many sacrificial ways. There's people whose names never even met the book. But yet they saw Jesus, they encountered Jesus, and they believed in Him. But He's telling these leaders, He's telling these men who are about to, they're, they're about to be left to lead. They're about to be, you know, no longer do they get to be this ragtag group of believers and, and this ragtag group of fishermen and tax collectors and other no-names. It, it, it's no longer that they get to be that. They're about to be thrust into this position of leadership where they're going to be setting the example for all who come to believe and all who currently believe. And He says to them, you are to love one another as I have loved you. And you say, well, He's still talking to them. He's still just dealing with them. You know what He told them just before He left? Go and make disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. That's applicable for every one of us. One another. You see, now, I, I need to, we need to deal with something before we move away from this and move to the next point. There's this idea, this, this broad misconception in church today that you can be a believer and you can live life and you can just, you can just go through life and, and, and you never have to be at church. You never have to be at church. You don't need to be here. Hey, I can, I'm spiritual. I can be a believer at home by myself. When you think of church as an event, that may be true. You know, what we're having right now, this is church. In our culture, this is church. It's an event. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. He wasn't, he wasn't thinking down the, the stream of time and thinking, all right, when these people hear this phrase, they're going to think, when I'm at church, when I'm at that event, I'm supposed to love one another. No. He's talking to a people about one another and those that will follow. The one another... It's the people that make up the church. So maybe, maybe you can sit at home and, and, and get your podcast. I mean, I mean, theoretically, really. I mean, come on. You don't have to come to church and hear me preach. There's way better preachers out there. I listen to some of them, and I freely admit it. You can download their podcasts. You can, you can get their messages. And you never have to... You never have to leave your house unless you don't have internet at home. You might have to go to the library. You don't have to interact with another person. And whether you realize it or not, you do need that. I mean, I didn't, I don't remember what I had for dinner last Monday night. 
No. Well, I probably didn't need dinner Monday night, but I couldn't miss two. You need preaching. You need teaching. You need truth being, being proclaimed. You may not realize it, realize it, but you need it. But you never have to come here for this. You need to stay at home and get it. And it's so accessible because of the technology we have today. Do you know what you can't get? What you can't get is connected. What you can't get is the love that Jesus has called His people to love one another with. And, and you know what you can't do? You can't love people the way Jesus has called you to love them. It's a two-way street. And if you never connect and if you never find a place to fit in and, and all you do is sit at home, then you're missing the depth of what it is to be a Christian. You're missing the depth of what it is to be a believer. You know, when people face this issue, when people are challenged with this, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 is a, is a big one that they depend on. And, 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 they, and people turn to this verse and they say, uh, look, this, this, the Bible tells us we need to gather together. In Hebrews 10.25 it says, Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as the day draws near. As you see the day drawing near. And that's fine when you're talking about sitting together like this. But in these words that Jesus gave us here, and this command that Jesus gave His people here, He's calling you to go so much deeper than just simply getting together and encouraging one another every now and then. It's calling you to love people. His people. One another. I want you to look around the room. Everybody's looking right at me. I'm not the only guy here. Look around. I'm serious. It's going to feel weird. Make contact. I'm serious. We're not moving on until you make eye contact with everybody. It feels weird, doesn't it? You know why it feels weird? Because in our culture, we don't connect. We contact. Facebook, email. We don't know how to connect anymore. Are those tools bad? Absolutely not. We need to use them. But you can't replace our connections. It feels weird. Even in a group this small, this meeting as long as we have, we've got to connect. So one another might have started with those 11 disciples in that room and whoever else might have been sitting around that table. They're, I was going to say they're dead and gone. They are, but they're in heaven. They're with the Lord. Thankfully, you know who you know who that leaves. Us right now, people sitting in this room. I don't want you to get this idea. I don't. I don't want you to think that it's only the people in this group. Because you know the truth is, is that this love for one another, this should cross denominational and theological lines. You know one of the greatest damages I think that we've done to the church? And this is my opinion. But as we separate in our denominations and can't freely speak about our different theological perspectives, because we're scared that we're going to run somebody off or, or, 
we're scared that we're going to offend somebody or that they're just going to get angry because they can't believe you believe that way? You know, there's certain lines. Obviously, there's certain things that we can't, we can't sacrifice, we can't let go of. Last night, it was interesting. At, at our house, there were several people there sitting around the table. And it didn't get deep. There were questions about what, what was believed, about, uh, about salvation, about who, who does the work of salvation, whether it's a choice of free will or whether it's a, a work of God that's done before the choice of free will comes. Nobody got tense. But you know, I think, I know, I fully know that we could have talked further. I don't remember what happened that stopped us. We were playing some silly game, about to play some silly game, and act like fools. And, and so, you know, it, it was hard to talk about serious things. But I have no doubt it could have happened. And as believers in Jesus Christ, as His people, that love should flow across those lines. It, it, should, it should bury those lines. You know, and it shouldn't just happen that, that in our local church we love one another. The love that we have for one another should be evident between churches. But how often are we ready to stand up and point our finger at some church down the road? I do it. I know, and I'm sorry. I screwed up. But we all do. We think, oh, we got it right and nobody else does. Man, I hope there's more people that got it right than us. There's going to be a pretty small party if there's not. Do I have firm convictions about what I believe? Absolutely. Should all of those firm convictions separate me from other people who believe? Absolutely not. And they shouldn't you. And they shouldn't us with other churches. Are we going to see it most clearly in a body like this? I think so. You see, because... The ideas of loving one another between larger bodies, between larger groups of people, it becomes so ideological. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, it's on this level that doesn't happen in our daily lives. It doesn't affect us everywhere we go. But the connection, the love for one another should be so real among this group. Not because we know how to do it right exactly, but because He's done it already. You see, that's where we get into the example. It's changed. This new example. It's no longer love one another as you love yourselves. It's love one another as I have loved you. That's huge. That's big. Probably, in, in, in all seriousness, there is no way to deal with this completely here. And in this little bit of time that we've got together, there is no way to answer this question completely. But how has He loved you? How has He loved you? Peter picks up on this principle of, of loving one another in more than just this idea, but in this practice. And in his letter to the scattered and suffering church, he says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, that means that basically, hey, now that you're a believer, now that you're a follower of Christ, now that you've been converted and changed, having done these things, having become this person for a sincere brotherly love, 
and, and another way to, to, to read that or understand it, not just because you, you, you trusted the truth and, and became a believer so that you could have a sincere brotherly love, but, but as a result of having this happen in your life, you have this brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. You know what's cool about that passage? What I really love about that passage? As I studied First Peter, I've told you it's one of my favorite books. I study that word by word. I mean, I have read it and I have read it and I have read it and I have poured over it and it's deep. There's a lot of stuff there. But as he comes to this passage and in this verse, he takes this idea that what happens in a believer is that as we become changed and converted, we develop this familial, affectionate concern for one another. And the word he uses there, translated here, is brotherly love. It's Philadelphia. And that is a Greek word that speaks about emotion and, and connection and feelings. And then immediately after that, he says, love one another. That's kind of like the same thing, isn't it? No. You see, he's used a totally different word. He says, affectionate, love, connect, have, have feelings for one another, develop this affection, affinity for. And then agape. Act, sacrifice, serve. But it's a verb. It's no longer just connected to emotion. Are there emotions involved? Absolutely. Are emotions important to it? I don't know. I think you can do it without it. I think you should do it without it. You see, it's a, it's a choice. It's a, a willful choice. He's saying because this is who you've become, because this is a result of it, because you're a believer and now have this affection and affinity for believers and have this connection to the body, choose to love like Jesus loved. That's essentially what he's saying. He picked it up. And he understood it. And you know, I've experienced this a few times and I've been on the receiving end of this. I hope that, that many times, and in fact I hope more often than not, I'm on the giving end of this. But there's a couple of times in my life where it has just truly rocked my world. It has changed my view. It has grown me as a believer. One of those times happens to be in my very first trip to Nicaragua. There's a group of us. We're sitting in an airport. And, and as we're sitting there, there's this guy walking around, and he's asking questions about why you're going and what you plan to do and what you hope for. And man, I'm just going to be honest with you. We were a bunch of arrogant American believers acting as if we were going to do something for these people that they didn't have the smarts to do. Maybe they were incompetent. Nobody ever used the word lazy, but a lot of that was insinuated. And even worse than that, see, we were, we were on our way to build houses. We were on our way to go down there and build houses so that we could have opportunities to share the gospel. And some of those people, some of the people had in mind that these people just couldn't do it. They didn't know how. <laughs> they didn't have the motivation. They just didn't care. But worse than that, there were some of us sitting around there thinking that we were about to be their great white hope of salvation. I was in that second group. In my young, arrogant, willful mind I thought, you know what? I'm going to go down there and I'm going to save these people. I'm going to bring them Jesus and I'm going to save them. Now, I believe 
God sent me on that trip to use as a tool in His hand, but what I realized when I got there is that that trip was not so much just about me being used as a tool, but Him smashing me on the rocks and breaking that arrogance in me. You see, what happened was we get down there and we walk into this... Well, we don't walk into this village. We, 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 we're on a bus and we're being trucked into this village. This village that we were going to the first day had been built the year before by a whole other group, by a whole other church, by, by people that we didn't even know. And this, this, this group had gone in and they'd built this village of some 20 or 30 houses and, and we were going to that village the very first day we were going to meet with a group that had been there the week before us building in the village that we were going to be building in. So it was a three-week group. It was a three-week trip. Some people had been there the week before us. They built houses in this village. We were going to follow behind, build some more houses, and a group was going to follow behind us and finish the job. The plans had been made that we would meet in this established village so that we could see what it would look like in a period of time after our construction was done. The group that had been there the year before had great success in building houses. They had greater success in salvation of souls, and a small church had been formed there. It wasn't huge, but it was big enough. And every so often, an itinerant preacher, a traveling preacher, would come through to the village, and he would, he would preach, and he would teach, and he would love on those people. And the fruit of his work, the work that God was doing through him, the fruit of God's work in those people was so evident as we pulled down that road. I want you to picture this. We're, we're a bunch of gringos, a bunch of American people totally out of our element, in the middle of nowhere, on a dirty, dusty road riding in a bus. And as we're riding along, we start to see streamers lining the street. And they're not bright, flashy streamers. They're just the used car salesman streamers with the triangle flags hanging down. Balloons tied along every so often. Not big, bright, blown up, real big balloons. See, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. It was obvious that these balloons had been used before. They were dull and dusty and dirty. And I could imagine in my eye, as, I, as, I, as we drove by, I could imagine, I could see them taking those balloons down, letting their out, putting them away, and putting them with the streamers and holding them until the next time they had some reason to celebrate. And the missionary that was with us, the guy that had been there for some time, tells us, these weren't here just the other day. I was just out here. They weren't here. I put these up here for you. I'm just going to tell you, I was struck. Here I am, the great white hope of Nicaragua. Right in the gut. They're doing this for us. We're coming to serve them. We're coming to do something for them. And they're doing this. They're not even the ones we're building for. They're not even the ones that are receiving the gift that we've come to give. And they're doing this for us. Oh, man, and that was just the beginning. We stepped up that bus. As we started to, to be told, these are the believers in this church, there was an immediate connection. There was this, this depth of connection that I can only, I can't even describe it, I can't even put it into words, but I'm going to tell you there were smiles and there were hugs, and there were people just loving on one another. 
And we walked into their community building that they used as a church. It was open. It didn't even have a door on it. We walk into this building. And all along one side is a table. It's not a nice table. It's rough, unsanded wood. And all along that table was every kind of tropical fruit that they could find, that they could buy, that they could, that they could bring. There was so much that there was no way either of the groups that were there to have a church service in their building with this church, there was no way we were going to be able to eat it. And then we look down at the end of the, of the room and, and, and we see them chopping off big chunks of ice off of these big square blocks of ice. And they're pouring these liter bottles of Coke over this ice and, 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 and they're bringing them to everyone. And the missionary says, Oh, man. He says, this cost them, this was a collection that was, that was gathered in the community, and it cost them the average salary or wage of one person for a month. And they did that for us. And they didn't know who we were and they weren't getting anything from us. I was a kick in the groin. I was broken. I'm still broken. Because as I looked around, as I saw what they had, it was nothing in comparison to what we have. It was nothing. They didn't have the modern conveniences that we have. They were living in houses that we would call sheds. We wouldn't even let homeless people stay there. Because it wouldn't be nice enough for them. It wouldn't afford them enough room. They had nothing that we have materially. But they had so much joy and peace and love. Gave it to us. An arrogant, self-serving, inconsiderate group of believers who thought less of those people because they didn't have what we had. We were broken. You know what's sad? This is really where it got bad because as they offered these gifts, people are taking them and they're looking around. Can we eat this? Can we drink this? You better. You better. See, they loved us. And to, to receive that love and to be shaped by Jesus in a moment of time, just like that, I was blown away and I came back and I walked into a church that we didn't have those connections. Oh, we got some. But we didn't have that joy. We didn't have that love. How oh, I longed for it. Man, 
not all for it. And I would go back every year hoping that God would use me again to see people saved, to experience. Experience this love, this depth of love that He has for us. He has called us to love one another as He has loved us. What does that look like? How has He loved us? We can't answer that completely now. We, can't, we, we don't have time to deal with that question completely now. But it's something that you and I from now on, not just this week, but from now on should consider. How has He loved you? What has He done to show His love for you? Just real quickly, what did He do to love those people that sat in that room? What did He do? He had just washed their feet. He'd served them. You know, this is the greatest thing about how Jesus set up the idea of leading. He didn't set up the idea of leading with this, this idea that He was just simply going to be a person of power and authority and expect respect from everyone. His idea of leading was as much about service and humility and being before the people, giving them what they needed. That was His idea of loving them. What did He do for them? How did He love them? He was with them. He spent time with them. For He came to them, in fact. I mean, you consider how He met these people. He didn't wait for them to figure it out and come along and say, hey Jesus, can I follow you? These 11 guys, these 11 guys, He went and He sought them and He said, you, come on, follow me. I've got some answers for you. I've got truth for you. I've got life for you. He sought them out and He spent time with them and He taught them and He poured into them and He showed them who He was and He showed them the depths of His love. He did this for them. How did He love them? He came. They had been looking for a Messiah. They wanted a Messiah so desperately. And even these 11 uneducated men wanted the Messiah. Every good Jew was looking for the Messiah. And He steps out of heaven Steps out of heaven. Did you hear that? He stepped out of heaven. He gave up the glory of heaven and He came down on earth. Some of us, what do we give? What are we willing to give up? He stepped out of heaven. And he put on flesh. And He lived here. He was tempted here. He was accused here, he was condemned here, and he died here. How did he love them? How has he loved you? From now on, from now on, consider the depths of his love for you. How long, how wide, how deep. You got time to figure it out. You got time to think about it. 
And that is how we are to love one another. Boom. what that looks like? Have you ever experienced that coming from another believer? Do you have stories? I hope you do. If you don't yet, I hope that in this church you'll find them. I hope that in this connection, in this people, you'll find them. Because if you don't, I'm not leading rightly. I'm not challenging you rightly. You see, we measure success on the number of people that sit in the seats all too often. We measure success in the number of baptisms that we have. The mark of the church, the, the, the one that Jesus gave, the one that they would be known by, what does he say in verse 35? You see, in verse 35, he, he doesn't leave it. He doesn't say, well, hey, you just love these guys and you know, you know they'll figure it out. No, he says, the new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you ought to love one another. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, this love that we should experience is not just an emotion. It should, it, it should be active and it should be moving us so that it is evident to the world around us. The Bible clearly defines for us that this is so much more than, this, than just feeling good about one another all the time. John 3.16, one of the most popular verses of all of time, says, For God so loved the world, He loved the world in this way, that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. How did God love the world? He sent His Son. He provided salvation for those that would believe. Romans 5.8, But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. How did He show His love? What did He do to love us? Christ died for us. 1 John 3.16, By this we know love. You ever wondered what love looks like? Here it is. That He laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. You cannot experience the love of Christ if you're simply expecting to receive it. The love of Christ is not a single flowing... It doesn't just come in and stop. To know and experience the love of Christ, you have got to love it. You, or you have got to live it. It's got to come in you and go through you. It's got to move you and change you and make you reach out and move and act and do. We cannot sit here and look at one another and feel good about, oh, well, we're sitting in this church. and That's really good. We're called to love one another. What does that look like? What does it mean? It should be evident in us. How are we going to do it? 
How will we know if we're successful? How will we know what's, what's happening in us? So you, you'll know. But what's it take to get there? What if you have to give up some of the activities that you so enjoy? He left heaven. What if that means that you have to change your schedule? Hmm. You know, I'm, I'm supposed to get my nails done that night. I can't get with you guys that night because I gotta, you know, I got this thing to do. Gotta, hmm. I got this good TV show. I just can't miss it. He left heaven. I think that point's been paid. It means that we're going to have to give some things up that serve us. That feed us. We're going to have to look out and recognize that it's not about us, that it's about others. Love one another. Move towards one another. Hmm. That's activities that feed us. We're going to have to get past differences. Do you realize that in this room there are differences? There's people from different backgrounds, from different theological beliefs that they've grown up in, different, different ideas and perspectives about life. You know what that means? That we're just like every other group and every other part of the church that has ever existed. But do you know what? We're going to have to get past it. We're going to have to love one another, act sacrificially for one another beyond it. You know what, in this room, in this room, and even as small a smaller group as we have, there's tension in some relationships. What will we have done? Jesus looked at us and said, well, you know what? You didn't act like I thought you would, dear. So I'm not going to give you my love. Imagine what the church would be like or how different it might be. If Jesus said, hey, when people perform the way you expect them to, love them. How different might things be? Peter had woke up that or, or, or gone with Jesus that next morning and stood around that fire as they were as they were questioning Jesus and and and, and they were they were uh, 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 he was having a court case basically they were they were questioning him and, and, and calling him to give answer and and Peter standing around this fire what if what if Peter looked up and seen Jesus and oh man I don't want anybody to know I'm with him oh it's cold out here and, no I wasn't with him. I'm telling you, I wasn't with him. Listen to me, I was not with him. And in that moment, you see Jesus looking at him, and, and, and what? If he knew, because he didn't perform, he was cut off and would no longer experience the love of Christ. What if that was our example? What hope would we have? What would, it be, what would it mean to us? Because you know what? We can't do it. Every one of us fail. Every one of us screw up. We have opportunities to say a good word for Jesus and we don't do it. We have opportunity to do a good deed for somebody in the room, but we don't do it. 
What if it meant that we had to perform all the time? We would never experience His love. The differences in personalities, the, the tensions in relationship, we've got to love past them. We've got to act past them. We need to open our homes to one another. We need to say, you know what? You've never been to my house. Come to my house and eat dinner with me. And when we're asked, we need to say, okay, I will. You know, sometimes I understand that there's some things that take precedence, and I understand that there's some things that have to be done. But some things can certainly be cleared so that we can love one another, so that we can love one another. We need to go to one another and serve one another. This, this, is, this is bad in our church culture. This is something we struggle with, and we're not the only group, and, and we will not be the last group, and, and this is something that just happens because of who we are as Westerners. We struggle with stopping to think of others' needs. Because we are so built with this idea that we are striving for the American dream that, that as soon as I get to my, my wife, my two kids, and my cars in my garage, and my dog on my back porch, then I've made it. When we get those things, then I can relax. Then, I can, then, I, then I've succeeded. Then I've, then I've become worth something and valuable. And we're so desperate to serve ourselves that we don't stop to consider others. We need to stop to consider others. Recognize how Jesus stopped to consider others. It's how He loved you. <clears throat> This, this is the measure of success in a church. This is the measure of a character in a church. We can do our best to draw a bunch of people. You know, we got a whole band up here now, and I'm so excited about that. I love that. I, we're, I feel like we're there. That's so exciting to me. Because I've seen it when we just had somebody up here with a guitar and singing. It's so much better to see people working together and worshiping Jesus together. That's awesome. But that, that's not success. That's, that's people loving one another. That's people serving one another. The loving and serving, that is the success. And that is how we'll know when we've succeeded. When we see one another actively, sacrificially moving towards one another to love as we have been loved. And you know what? <laughs> I, sorry, I just thought of something. I said last night as I was teasing them about the length of my messages that sometimes I say, and let me say this in closing, and 20 minutes later we get there. Let me say this in closing. still not just about us. Me or you. Who will know that we're His disciples? The world will know we're His disciples. All will know you're my disciples. You see, this is as much about evangelism as it is about ministry. When we're acting 
as Jesus has called us to act, not just thinking it, not just sitting around, well, I love you and you love me, and oh, and I love you and you and you. As, as long as that's all it is, we've got no witness. But when we live and act and love the way Jesus has called us to live and act and love, it becomes evangelistic. And when people see it, they're moved and they're touched. And they recognize there's something different. And at that point, we need to start talking to them about Jesus. Because He's the difference. Let's pray. Father,